Hey, welcome to Film vs. Movie, the podcast where we normally debate the cinema you hate. I'm your co-host, Belton Delane Facey. And my name's Chris Scher. And normally we talk about the films that have been slandered and desecrated by public opinion. But today we're doing another edition of Cutting Room Floor, where we bring on filmmakers to talk about their earlier work. And today we have my good friend, fellow comedian, filmmaker, Matt Levy. Hey, happy to be here. Uh, have made many flops, so <laughs> proud of each one of them in their own special way. I mean, on this show, flops are merely opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm an opportunist then. <laughs> yeah, so how, uh, so how did you first get started in filmmaking? Well, the very first thing I did was my dad would film us with his, uh, you know, VHS camera when we were kids. Did you guys do that too? Like you had a, a parent with a bulky VHS and you were like, whoa, movies can be made just in your home. I think my dad had one ca- a camera, then it, then he packed it for a flight and it got stolen out of his luggage. And he's like, well, never doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't really a home movie family. We were, uh, oh my God, why is there no pictures of you when you were young kind of family? <laughs> Are you like the seventh of 10 children? No, I'm the second. They just, <laughs> they got tired. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Wow. I have, a, I have a daughter now and we document everything, but it's not as fun as like, you know, getting out a camera. Like she just steals my phone and actually takes pictures of herself already. She's only 15 months old. Oh. But uh, yeah, that was kind of the impetus. I was like, oh, we could just make movies at home. I didn't know about editing. I didn't know about composition. I didn't know about storytelling, really. Just like we're running around in the backyard and we made a movie. And then in high school, did you guys have teachers that would allow you to make movies as like extra credit projects? That was kind of where it really started. Yeah, I... Oddly enough, uh, in my high school biology class, we had one project where we had to do a uh, stop motion animation of meiosis, which oh, if cool. if you don't remember high school biology well, that's the pro- process <laughs> of sex cells dividing to, uh, to, you know, prepare to be functional eggs and sperm cells. Do you still have this? I'd love to see it. I, I have no idea where it is. Yeah, Bell, and why didn't you bring this for the first episode yeah, of Cutting man. Room Floor? Because, <laughs> again, I have no idea where uh, where it is, and we weren't trying to be too artistic with it. We, uh, we were trying to get it done, because I'm not sure if you've ever done stop-motion animation, but it's exhausting. It is. It's worth it, though. When you actually see it, you're like, oh, my God, it looks like animation. Were you just doing it on, like, paper? Were you using Play-Doh or something? I, uh, I think so. Uh, uh, so my uh, one of my friends that was in my group, she, uh, uh, she and her mom are really avid bakers. So we were using fondant. Oh, huh. that's pretty high quality yeah. meiosis, and I could see it looking sperm-like. <laughs> uh, for for me, I have a friend that was kind of out there. Um, his name's Carbon. He lives in Brooklyn now. And uh, freshman year, I was in speech and debate. At the end of the year, there's no more tournaments and no one qualified for nationals on our team. So there's just like three weeks. They're like, go ahead and make a movie. And we 
went and filmed all around kind of north central phoenix going into like uh doctor's offices and asking secretaries if they would marry us and (laughs) (laughs) it's really stupid it it sounds like one of those like early era youtube prank videos (laughs) kind of and my friend carbon uh, he called the movie Natural Woman and we screened it for the class. <laughs> <laughs> it's really stupid. Oh, what class was this for? Speech and debate. So, yeah, we, we made that. And then the next year, I kind of took the reins with my brother and we made a movie called Sell Bagels or Die Trying, inspired by 50 Cent. And uh, it was about selling bagels our speech and debate team made us do we didn't get a cut of the profit but we'd have to sell a certain amount of bagels to like be on the team it was kind of bs um and uh that was the one that really like connected with the class and i was like oh making movies is so fun like i don't think i've made anything that's gotten the laughs that got that sell bagel or die try and has since like it's a it's a career highlight sort of. <laughs> I mean, it, it just just the classroom. It was like it's like chasing that high. Is like, you know, when you do like a really good set, but it's all maybe not necessarily crowd work, but you're just like commenting on the room in stand up, and it, like everyone's in on it. It's not necessarily material. It's not making fun of people, but you're just like pointing out things that or observations that people have been thinking, but maybe never externalized. That's exactly what I felt. I was like oh wow this is something i'll be chasing for the rest of my life in every artistic medium and then the next movie i made did not do well but yeah yeah just the ultimate fear of peaking way too early (laughs) yeah that was my citizen kane man so i try it was really it's it's on youtube it probably is not funny to anyone that wasn't in central high speech and debate in 2005 2006 but uh for us that was our movie. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so, uh, so after that, were you kind of in the minds instead of like you wanted to just shoot more, gather t- and team, and do, and do as much as you can, or or did it take more time to reach that point? I helped out with like video book reports a lot, and you know, I used the Little Miss Sunshine score. <laughs> um, I didn't know anything about editing really or shot listing it was just you show up we'll figure it out when we get there we'll figure it out in the cutting room floor i mean a lot ends up on the cutting room floor and then just hope for the best and my senior year project which was like a james bond parody flatlined it's like oh man what was it called ah Let's just call it Natural Woman 2. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I honestly have no idea. That one did not, it doesn't have the stickiness factor in my brain. I remember one of my classmates taking a bath and singing Splish Splash. It, and that's like the majority. And I think we used some Coldplay songs to date myself. Yeah, but it's like, I feel like a lot with editing and shot, uh, shot listing, it's like, it, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, uh, for a lot of people that didn't go to film school, it's something where it's like, you don't think about it start, uh, starting off, but then when you hear about it, you're like, oh, that would make life a lot easier. A hundred percent. 
my uh, when I went into film school, I didn't know about it until uh, my first movie within the program. One of my friends drew storyboards, and I was like, "What are these?" made a comic book of the movie he's like no 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 this is how we're gonna shoot it and this is the order it's gonna be in and i was like holy what you planned i thought we were just gonna have fun when we got there and film it all in order it, it blew my mind and that that friend evan sarosky is a very talented animator now i always struggle so much with storyboards where yeah they're like I just remember the first time they assigned it. They're like, this is very important. You need to draw out the shots you planned. And so I sat there and I drew out some of the shots. And it just, it was like stick fake. I can't get space at all. And I'm not good at drawing yeah. people. And it wasn't helpful at all. People were like, yeah, I don't know what this is, Chris. You're going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> do you do the thing where your first one's like really good? And like you're doing the background and it's very detailed. And by, you know. Number seven, you're just like, all right, there's eyes on one person. That's enough. No, it kind of started at like a three-year-old's drawing level. Yeah. And then by the end, there was just like a paw print. I got all the way down to like a catch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, because I remember uh, um, uh, soon after Knives Out came, came out, Ryan Johnson, the director of it, uh, he tweeted some pictures saying like, yeah, this was uh, one of the storyboards I did for... Uh, for the movie, it was just a crude drawing of like you can barely ma make out a girl, and then all the knives behind her are just like sticks in in a direction, and, and and like every filmmaker is like, you understand this is actually one of the most inspirational things I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to tweet a link to that in the show notes because I need to see that myself. All right, I'll try. I'll try to find it again. But yeah, so you uh, you went to. Uh, uh, film school and so how uh, how you think film uh, film school year helped you de uh, develop as a film uh, uh, maker or uh, where it made you more comfortable on set so i didn't go into film school right away i went to journalism school for a year and in that interim i had kind of a dramatic thing happen i actually wrote a, a feature about it and i'm I would love to make this movie. Um, I wrote it for, do you guys know CW, the stand-up? He's a New York stand-up. CW Headley, really funny. We did a reading of it like two years ago. Anyway, so I get to uh, the TV station and my dream is to work for their like little sketch show. It's called Dirty Oatmeal. And I think I'm late to the meeting or they just didn't like me. And I ask can i have my own show then since i'm not allowed to write on your show and they gave me a week to produce a pilot and i put together a 22 minute show with the help of uh like five or six friends and it aired on their tv station sun devil television and then i had seven or eight episodes that year i mean i didn't keep pumping them out on a weekly basis because that would have been like wild but I did that with zero shot listing, just a bunch of scripts and hoping for the best, learning Final Cut on the fly with my friend. And I did that for a year and change before deciding I wanted to go into film school. Made a movie, barely got in, I think. And then uh, 
when I really started to understand what I was doing was on my first movie within the program, when uh, I wrote a script, collaborated with my buddy Evan, and he was so prepared that I was like, this is the workflow. Uh, that movie is called The Mess. It is highly offensive. I would watch <laughs> it. Uh, my teacher was like, why are you <laughs> making this movie? And uh, I, uh, I screened it for the class and uh, it wasn't great. There's an Obama quote at the beginning. It's uh, very much a, <laughs> it's very much a, a product of its time, but that was definitely the first time I made something with a budget, with a vision that wasn't just like, let's figure it out when we get there. It was, it was pretty amazing when all of a sudden going. Yeah. So I, uh, so I guess uh, just one last qu- uh, question before we get into the, uh, the earliest, uh, uh, film we have uh, yours uh, so as uh, as you developed into your own style were there any particular filmmakers or films or shows that uh, that you particularly drew a lot of inspiration from oh man absolutely i'm sure you guys have the same but if you grew up i want to say in the 90s and 2000s and you watch TV at all, I think our sensibilities are the Simpsons. Like we're all kind of standing on the shoulders and of, you know, Simpsons uh, imitators as well. But the, the Simpsons is the gold standard for making comedy film, I think. And on top of that, I guess uh, I was also in love with Stella and Strangers with Candy. Those are my two favorite shows other than The Simpsons. And then in terms of filmmakers, I liberally ripped off Wes Anderson over the years. Like, (laughs) not even shameless, completely uh, stealing his style, production design, acting style. Just what's interesting, though, is it doesn't really play as well as you might expect in a theater. Um because it's sort of not really realistic. It's so stylized. But it's the easiest way to make something look professional and unique, even though it's not unique because it's totally Wes's. And he's the greatest. I mean, I also love Spike Jones, Spike Lee. Uh, is there anyone else, anyone else named Spike that we know of? Probably an admirer of their work. Tarantino. <laughs> Obviously, uh, Greta Gerwig now, but yeah, I'm I'm always watching and thinking how can I steal Coen Brothers for sure. Yeah, I'm a I'm a cinephile. I try to watch like a good seven movies I haven't seen a week every week. Wait, oh, really? Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, um, I have a job that has a lot of busy work built into it, so I make sure that I watch a movie while I'm not working and then some days i'll get two in which is great so this week i watched seven movies at work what movies uh i tweet this every week movies that i loved movies that i liked movies that i didn't like so this week i loved uh the please don't destroy movie that was phenomenal 
made me jealous. There was a moment where they talked about being in middle school in 2007. And that really, it triggered me guys. <laughs> to be honest, I was like, Jesus Christ, I was graduating high school and you guys are making incredible features. Uh, I saw the Albert Brooks doc. I don't know if you guys saw that defending your life on HBO. Really good. Saw on Hulu werewolves within the horror film with Sam Richardson. It's kind of, did you see that? No, I didn't know Sam Richardson yeah. did a horror movie. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that either. I fucking love it's, that guy. He's great. It's a it's a fun movie. And it's got a cast of like comedy bit players that you love, character actors. That was fun. That that fell under the light pile. Light pile. Uh, Nyad, the new Annette Benning movie where she's a swimmer that goes over and over and over to try and get from Cuba to Florida and fails and fails and fails. Does she make it? It's a fun sports film. I also like the Poca King with Jack Black. That sounds good. It was pretty good. Uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. Uh, Had never seen it before. It's all all just stuff on streaming. And then I hated, there's one movie I hated. uh, The new Apple TV movie, Fingernails. With... uh, Jesse Buckley, Jeremy Allen White, the guy from The Bear, just really did not do it for me. Hmm. I can spoil it for you, but... Is it a horror movie? Kind of. It's more like a high-concept romantic triangle in this world where you take a test to see if you're compatible with your partner, like if it's actually true love, and then you have to sacrifice fingernail like they literally extract a fingernail from your digit it's painful to watch and it drags it's got a good cast but not for me it it sounds like that one black mirror episode but someone watched that and was just like let's make it body horror Oh, is there a Black Mirror about uh, compatibility yeah, relationships? The, yeah, there's a Black Mirror ep- episode where uh, where it's like these two people are in this program where they're supposed to be matched up with uh, with their one uh, with like their soulmate or whatever, and uh, and so, uh, and it's like over the course of the episode they keep going back to each other, and then at the end it's it's revealed they're essentially just data points on this day. It, Dating out to determine two people's actual compatibility. Wow. Damn. Huh. Black Mirror is so good and I don't watch it enough. <laughs> I had no idea that episode existed and now I have to see it. Uh, oh, yeah. It, uh, well, cause, is that from well, a more recent season? I, I think it was like season three. Oh, man. I got to go back. Okay, great. Well, more shit to watch. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, on to your shit to watch. <laughs> Right. So, uh, so <laughs> your earliest film that you were willing to sh- show is is called A Portrait of the Sandwich Artist as a Young Man. Yeah. What uh, what should people know about this movie in terms of what it's about? So I worked at Subway and I wrote a short story about a sandwich making prodigy. I printed it out. I was very proud of myself. And then I got to make a thesis film at ASU. And I was like, 
I'm going to adapt this into a screenplay. And man, I got that, I got that high again. When my class read the screenplay, they were all like, this is the best screenplay in class. And I was like, all right, okay, cool. Uh, so I poured everything into it. So what you should know about the movie is it's about a kid named Lyle Von Champion. He's one of the world's greatest sandwich makers, but his dad was just as great before him. Kurt Von Champion, he's kind of obsessed with making sandwiches and it's he's poured his life into it, but he didn't get into Wolfgang Puck's Sandwich Making Academy and it really screwed him up. So tried to make his son great and kind of screwed up by making his son better than he was. And the movie's about their strained relationship, uh, what it's like to be great, but you know, not even have the uh, approval of the person that kind of gave you all the tools that you need, and what it's like to be jealous of someone that's better than you that's much younger. It's kind of like me watching the Please Don't Destroy movie. Yeah, because I think in there, it's uh, it's like it, it's surprisingly a lot. Uh, Given like the, because I think the premise, uh, it sounds like, and it definitely com- uh, comes off in the style of a sketch. But there are a lot, there are definitely themes in there that I think a lot of people would resonate with, with like living up to the expectation of your parents. And then I, it does feel like a parody of a lot of cre- a lot of creative types. Uh, how there's the idea you have to suffer for your art, and so, uh, yeah. <laughs> That is very true. Um, there's extended montages of this 10-year-old going through, uh, you know, the various stages of homelessness <laughs> and being a starving artist. It's it's stupid. It's absurd. It's not serious at all. When he goes, um, he goes to the sandwich dealer. <laughs> yes. Does the, he does the trench coat opening. Yeah. And the- <laughs> so I've got I've got an Easter egg for that one. Two Easter eggs, actually. So that actor is in the movie, five, plays five different parts. If you look really closely, you can see him in five different scenes as if he's lived out an entire world outside of the movie. So he's in the Wolfgang Puck scene. Uh, he's also one of the prospective students. He's uh, one of the Olympians at the beginning when the montage of the Sandwich Olympics. And uh, I forget the two others, but then obviously he's the sandwich dealer. But the most exciting uh, Easter egg for this character is this is a parody of an award-winning short film in my school um, called Beautiful Addiction by uh, now, he's Greta Gerwig's editor. His name is Nick Ramirez. I went to school with him. He, uh, He edited or was the assistant editor on Little Women. And he just edited Jonah Hill's Doc Stutz. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. That was a beast to edit. He told me like insane to go through hours and hours and hours of therapy footage. It looks like, you know, effortless, but, uh, not an easy doc to edit. So he was the, the Scorsese, you know, of our school. And I had this big secret, like there's a parody built within my movie of his movie. And <laughs> It was so great when it screened. <laughs> Everyone that I wanted to be in the room was in the room and I was just waiting for that scene. I'm glad it still works on another level, but it had its own, uh, similar to uh, Sell Bagels or Die Trying. I'm obsessed with 
you know, sandwiches and bread um, in my in my movies. But uh, yeah, it had that worked in the room feeling that I was always chasing. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting that you brought up the one guy was used multiple times because honestly, watching it, uh, one of my thoughts was how is he able to get so many extras for uh, uh, for this. <laughs> Especially considering there is a shot where it's just a bunch of children crying into food. Oh, that, yes. That was such a good shot. <laughs> I got it. Once again, I used Evan as my DP. So we that was the first time I'd ever seen someone dolly from one scene to another scene. Blew my mind. That was I can't take credit for that composition at all. Um, but those kids... They're the people that didn't get cast in the movie that auditioned. I was like, <laughs> I have, a, I have a part for you. <laughs> they all must be like twenty now. Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, just twenty years old, and it's like there, uh, there's an, an image of you as a child just cr- uh, just crying, be, uh, being like, I, uh, being like, I got this because I wanted to be the lead, and they didn't pick me for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, what a consolation yes. prize wait just out of curiosity how do you get child actors as a college student essentially because i couldn't imagine a lot of parents are like yeah this is a good environment to send our kids to <laughs> and it was all unpaid i didn't pay any of the actors anything <laughs> insane um they came on board i forget the name of the website but it was essentially like a proto backstage um and i used them to I, I think I'd like s- solicit through the website and say, "Hey, would you like to audition?" And we held auditions on campus. We taped them, and uh, probably saw like thirty kids to be in the movie. That's and wild. Anders was perfect. That kid was so good. It's hmm. like there's no way I'm not casting this guy. He looks like he's out of, you know, a Brothers Grimm book. Uh, and. T- uh- and so you mentioned you went to film school at Arizona State University. So a lot, so a lot of people I've met that went to film school are generally like either in New York or or LA, where you know their film production is already very big in in the city. Did you, did you feel there was any particular difficulties being in a place where? Not to say the, uh, the film uh, film production was non-existent, but just less prominent. There weren't that many, actually. I feel as if because businesses weren't as in tune or in step with, you know, acting as locations, you could just kind of get more leeway being guerrilla style. Like you could just show up I filmed at my public library once, like there's this gorgeous public library in downtown Phoenix, five stories, all glass. I just walked in and filmed. Uh, I filmed a movie in the airport once. I just went in with a camera and a couple actors. No one said anything to me. I actually did that at LaGuardia. If you want to use LaGuardia's location, maybe security's crazier now, but I walked into LaGuardia with just like, you know, your typical canon uh rebel t7i film two actors at um the baggage claim i thought for sure security's gonna kick me out no one said anything 
So filming in an airport is surprisingly easier than expected. I don't know. This was eight years ago, but I did it in Phoenix too. Um, and that was like a five hour shoot and no one said a word to us. So uh, I think one of the benefits is people are more okay with you filming uh, in Arizona. And I imagine just, you know, with cell phones now, you can get away with that. But it's also more novel. So people are more excited to help, I think. It's not like uh, something that happens everywhere all the time. Although I don't really see it all that much in New York. I mean, occasionally you'll see like a, a Haddad truck or something like that. But it's not like L.A., I imagine. And occasionally a few features would film in Arizona. Um, are you guys familiar with how Stephen King will, uh, you know, give the rights to his short stories for a dollar? Yeah, I've heard about that. Some guy at at my school turned one of his shorts into a feature. Uh, that was right when I got into the program. And then Everything Must Go, the Will Ferrell movie. Where oh, he, yeah. Oh, yeah. That filmed like right around my neighborhood. And then my professor, Adam Collis, directed a movie that I think is on Netflix using all ASU crew. So like kids from my class, two years after I graduated, were essentially crewed out a full length professional feature with George Lopez and Octavia Spencer in it. Um, else is in the cast it's called car dogs it's basically a modern day glengarry glen ross at a um car dealership and that is crewed out completely by amateurs it's kind of cool like sort of punk rock to just hire kids in film school and give them like union jobs real hands-on experience okay so uh, uh, so i i'm also uh, and I'm curious, were there any problems you or your crew, or your crew came across making this, whether it be from circumstances or just you, you kind of needed more experience to get around it? Yeah. My major problem on set was emotional. I had like a hypomania uh, sort of breakdown on set because i thought i was so great because i was like <laughs> <laughs> and i think people started to hate me basically i had there was this philosophy my professor adam Collis had which is bridge the gap he would say this all the time all the time in fact i made a shirt that said bridge the gap kind of making fun of him but bridging the gap in by his uh estimation was you have the movie in your head that you want to make. You can see it playing. How do you bridge the gap and project it on a screen? How do you make the movie that you've always wanted to see the one that everyone else gets to see? And I bridge the gap with sandwich artists for the most part. I, I'd never really done it before. I made a movie that I actually really liked. And then I kind of got like incredibly vain and weird and alienated all my friends and got, so that was the biggest challenge actually was just coming back down to earth. Like I jumped on a desk, Tom Cruise style, like, you know, <laughs> like and I meant it. <laughs> uh, like you got to build your pedigree a bit more before you can just act like yeah. an asshole. 
But in terms of like Murphy's Law, nothing really bad happened on set. Oh, I I made there's a scene where the lead actor Anders who plays Lyle, I made him cry. I actually made him cry. Um that was kind of messed up. I asked him to think about like what made him sad and he started telling me about his grandpa that had passed and I was like all right, let's roll it. And I was like Jesus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's for the dumbest movie ever. You guys saw the movie. It's so stupid. I could have just used like water in his eyes. It's not a big deal. I wanted real emotion though. So there was that. But um, the reason things didn't really go wrong and it was planned to a T so much is when you're in film school, uh, in addition to taking classes, the real uh, education you're getting is you're on set at least three days a week. I mean, I wish it was still that way for me. I didn't really get into the actual production side so much. I became an editor after college for a couple of years and then moved here and have just been doing a variety of jobs since, not really even in the film industry. But I was on set every weekend, if not weekdays too, just, you know, till like 1 a.m. And I saw two things happen on sets that made me prepare for everything. Um, the first was my friend, Sean Hennessy, extremely talented guy, made a movie called A Tragic Tale of Flies and Men. It's on Vimeo, I think. It's incredible. But on his set, we're filming in his dad's office. So already, like, kind of crazy. We're not in uh, an office we have insurance for or rented. It's like his dad's office he's worked at for 20 years i think they sold fences or something like that and uh one of the the grips is moving a light and he hits the ceiling and it sets off a fire alarm and because the the light is so hot like the the light is struck it's on and all of a sudden because this building has never had know a fire alarm go off the sprinklers come down and because the sprinklers have never come down there's soot everywhere and it's just raining black water (laughs) all over and it doesn't stop the fire department comes and we don't have brooms there for some reason so somebody drives to a nearby barber shop because they'll have brooms and now we're Now there's hair everywhere, too. It just keeps getting worse. So my friend Sean had the absolute worst experience of anyone on a set. Um, The other really bad one was my friend Chris Myers, who uh, is in South Africa now working on Naked and Afraid. Uh, He's also an incredibly talented, good friend. Um, He made a movie in Strawberry, Arizona which is where um, everyone... So my friend Jen, who lives in New York, uh, she's an assistant director on Succession. She's kind of a big deal. She's married to Andy Hendricks, who is an incredibly talented DP. Um, DPs a lot of like commercials and music videos, and they've got a horror feature coming up. Anyway, um, Jen really upped the game for what a thesis film could be. She made a movie called La Gallina de Goyada, and it blew our minds. It was like, oh, this is the level we should all aspire to. So Chris does the same. 
And we go out to a forest in a place called Strawberry, Arizona. And I'd never heard of Strawberry, Arizona, but everyone started making their movies in Strawberry uh, soon after. Anyway, uh, we're on this set in a forest for like five days making Chris's incredibly ambitious 19th century period piece. And it's going really well until the last day when we have a gun fight on set. Um, we have a guy that's like a, a squib. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Expert, professional, technician. So this guy comes to the set with his son. His son is the one that's actually helping out. Um, the guy does not make it. And he doesn't really know what he's doing. And he's wearing a shirt that says, I shaved my balls for this. <laughs> question mark <laughs> you know like i paused my video game for this nowadays you'll see that this was i shaved my balls for this and he sets us behind like three hours like the the gunfight isn't going as planned the lead actor has to leave you know he's got a life he's probably being paid scale if that nothing um also a very talented actor so we're losing light and we're trying to get this last scene off when my friend Barry Rubin, who is also a talented filmmaker, he cuts videos for Republicans against Trump, which is kind of badass, helped Biden win the election in 2020. Don't know where you guys stand politically, but he's a big fan of that. Um, I thought that was pretty cool of him. Anyway, um, Barry is a PA on set. I'm the second AD. And I say, hey, Barry, go get Adam, the actor, uh, a water bottle because you know we're losing light, we need to keep him hydrated. Barry runs to get Adam a water bottle. We're in the forest. He trips, impales his hand on a log, goes straight through his hand. There's a stick going all the way through. So yeah, we didn't wrap that day. We didn't finish. <laughs> they had to do reshoots. Um, it's kind of a nightmare. But those two stories, you know the fire alarm going off and a hand through the log made me prepare for everything that could happen. And I've kind of been that way since just bridging the gap in terms of production, like trying to see what will keep people on board and happy in every single way possible that I can, as opposed to just like winging it like I did when I started. Okay. So I get, I guess back to, sorry, I have to keep, uh, I can't remember the full title. Of this. Back to a portrait of the sandwich artist as a young man. Yeah. Um, was there any? Was there anything from that said that you feel you you particularly learned as a lesson filmmaking going forward? Um. Yeah. Don't get full of yourself. It's not worth it. Stay humble, no matter what. Um, when I got egotistical for like two months, it was just not worth it. Um, I wore a suit to set every day because I saw Spike Jones did that on the set of where the wild things are. <laughs> and I was like, no, just wear, just be yourself, wear a t-shirt and basketball shorts. You don't need to act crazy. And I gave a speech beforehand, like I was a war general, it's like, Nah, we don't we don't need you to be this. Just be every be with be with everyone else. Don't try to be everyone's boss. Yeah, yeah it's funny because I know Christopher Nolan also wears a suit every day on on set. But 
also in it sets most a tone. Of, yeah, also in most of his movies, the actors are also wearing suits. So I feel like if yeah. they- <laughs> he can't show up in cargo shorts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you can you imagine like the behind the scenes photos of like Inceptions where literally yeah. everyone's in in suits and he's yeah. just dressed like Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love to see that. <laughs> I wish. Uh, so, uh, so I mean, did you, uh, uh, I mean, like with that ego, did you end up trying uh, something on set that was just above your experience level? I would say on sandwich artist or just ever. Uh, well, ever. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say I've never learned After Effects. Uh, I've I've faked effects forever. Uh, but that's not an interesting story. I would say the most ridiculous thing that I've ever done on a set where I was out of my element was on my friend Joe Lau's movie. He also wanted to make like a capstone, but never went to film school and is one of the most talented friends I've ever had. Um, He made a film called Omnibus to Quasi for basically nothing on his own with me and Evan, and that was it over the course of a summer and one night i went to uh an empty parking lot you know like one of those five-story parking lots and the cops came and told us to leave and this was after joe had jumped off the second floor to fake a murder like he was pushed off the second floor of a building. Luckily, the cops missed that. But uh, yeah, the, we were told by police that we'd have to leave the, the premises where, yeah, we didn't get any permits. I would say that was the time I was most out of my element because I was technically the producer on that movie and I had to lie to cops <laughs> <laughs> to... To, to say that oh we're just sorry play playing dumb basically that was the move that i mean move i feel like that basically uh, my whole life i mean i feel like that's the definition of guerrilla filmmaking it's just pl- uh, playing dumb when someone tells you like you know you're not supposed to be filming here you're just like what <laughs> you have to be kidding me <laughs> i didn't even know there was rules about that that's uh <laughs> i have to ask if i want to use public property <laughs> I mean, so when my wife was nine months pregnant last year, she made a a 20 minute film, which is crazy. Uh, She just walked in with our daughter Um, and she uh, her philosophy is uh, do now ask for forgiveness later. (laughs) Uh, Film now ask for forgiveness later. So we we did a lot of stuff like that in her hometown, which is Metuchen, New Jersey. So we were filming on streets filming on walkways uh we got a few permits uh but for the most part it was straight up film school guerrilla style which is the best just let's get this and get the hell out of here yeah because i remember when i was in college there was uh, there was someone where they were shooting a film in a room on ca- and campus in the student union and while they were shooting a security guard came and was just like you guys know you're supposed to like re- reserve this room and 
and someone looked at them with a straight face and said, "But we did." And uh, and, and the whole conversation is like, "Yeah, it's pretty weird. You guys don't have it's like, yeah, yeah go uh, go like check up front as soon as the security guard leaves. Okay, we really gotta wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> we did. That's my that's my move, man. Yeah. I think people in New York say this is a student film production. I heard a guy. Do you guys know Matt Vita? That name sounds familiar. He I PA'd on his feature. Killington, which just is doing the festival rounds now. Um, you should totally have Matt on this show. Um, anyway, um, one of the guys on his set said they just, anywhere he goes, he just says, oh yeah, this is a student film. And people usually just give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> but we did is a better move. <laughs> so uh, how do you think you've grown as a filmmaker since this film, first film we watched? Since Sandwich Artist, I have scaled things back. I actually have not made anything as ambitious since then. Um, I've made a bunch of sketches. I'm just more economical. I think as fun as it was, Sandwich Artist didn't really play in the theater as well as I thought it would. It didn't get the laughs that I expected. So I sort of started pursuing stand-up right after that. And I was like, oh silly punny stuff doesn't really connect with audiences as much as I thought it did. Like my goofy sense of humor isn't laugh out loud funny. It's more like, huh. So <laughs> I, I sort of started uh, seeing, okay, that studying what really makes audiences laugh and uh, definitely wasn't my stand up, but um, it was more just like, okay, this is what works. And I'll start incorporating that into screenplays and hopefully uh, I've gotten better at it. I, I don't know if that's true. Um, I have uh, a movie that I just filmed in late October and I think it's the funniest thing I've ever made. So hopefully fingers crossed once it's cut, I'm actually gonna have my friend Joe edit. I'm going to ship him the drive today. He lives in LA. So I think this will be, the best thing I've made. It should be like 20, 25 minutes. Oh, damn. Sort of like a, it's kind of like a riff on King of Comedy, but about film festival curators. Hmm. Oh, I can't imagine all the material in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm super pumped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's also funny you mentioned like scaling things back because I did note that in the most recent show of yours, uh, uh, we saw it was three actors, one location. I was just like, yep, this is the way for low budget filmmakers. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You can do it all in one day. You can tell a whole story, one room. I've been watching. Do you guys remember that HBO show Room 104? I'm kind of obsessing about, over it again. No. It was a classic. The hero indie filmmaker, Mark Duplass, Jake Duplass. Um, they had a series, it went four seasons. It all takes place in a motel room, but it's all standalone episodes. Each episode is in room 104. And the first one's about a possessed child. The next one's about a couple with a sick role-playing game. And it all, the only connective thread is it's just all in a room. You can't leave the room. And I love that. It's like, can I make a one location movie? I don't have to move my cast and crew. Don't have to get multiple uh, locations. 
So I try to write everything in one room and starring my wife. Those are my parameters. <laughs> if you uh, could direct a re- any remake, which one would it be? So I didn't come up with this theory. My wife told me someone said it. Um, she should be on this podcast. I'm just quoting her nonstop. But there's no point in remaking a good movie. Remake a bad movie. And I think if I were to remake a movie, it would probably be an SNL movie. I'm an SNL diehard. I might remake The Ladies' Man because I think Tim Meadows is one of the funniest actors alive and The Ladies' Man is just not a good movie. I think I'd start from scratch with Tim Meadows. Dream project. Tim Meadows, let's make the be- let's make an Oscar-winning version of The Ladies' Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you had to cast one famous actor-actress in the film, in one of your films, who would it be? Oh, that's easy. John C. Riley, greatest really? actor. Steve Brule is the greatest accomplishment in television history. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yes. So you have to put John C. Riley in the sandwich artist. Would he? What role do you feel he would have? I mean, obviously Kurt Von Champion, but him <laughs> as the child would be quite fun. <laughs> as the man child. I have a pick for you for the dad, who I think oh. you would kill as uh, directing them. Rob Hubel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He... I mean, I wrote it for Daniel Day-Lewis. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Rob uh, Hubel's amazing. Yeah. Uh, he was in Barely Lethal, which we talked about last uh, episode. And we were uh, and we were talking about like, uh, like in uh, he plays his dad, where it's like all of his scenes are just him talking to, uh, to his son. It, it, just like being supported in the most awkward way, and he's like kills every scene he's in. <laughs> oh, what's it called? Barely lethal or barely yeah, legal? Barely lethal. It's like a kid assassin movie that was an A twenty four straight to video classic on what was it like direct? TV. Yeah, direct TV cinema. It had Samuel all L. Right. Jackson in it. It was what? Yeah, it was like kind of all over the place. It got like what twenty on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, like twenty six. I think it was a solid movie, like sixty to seventy five percent. I would have enjoyed watching it hungover on a Sunday. Shit, that's yeah. a great. Uh, that's for, a great sales pitch. Uh, yeah, for anyone uh, listening, this is your reminder. If you haven't listened to our previous episode on Barely Lethal, okay. Do you think? The sandwich artist could be turned into a feature. I adapted it into a feature where he was a stand-up prodigy, oh, and huh. uh, I wrote roles for Philip Seymour Hoffman and then some other celebrity that died right after. And I was like, "Oh my god, I've got a curse." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I really wanted to make it. I I didn't think as like a sandwich movie it had legs, but like as a kid that goes on the road um, and like leaves his dad behind. And sees America. I was like, oh yeah, and he's doing stand-up. This could be really funny. It was like a stand-up prodigy doing late night spots. It's all really, as I said, we're standing on the shoulders of the Simpsons. I don't know if you guys remember the Bart Gets Famous episode where he says, I didn't do it. Um, from like season four. Sandwich artist is basically that. Yeah. No, I think doing it as a stand and stand-up is funny because I I've had the conversation with some people where it's like, you notice the uh, it seems like stand-up comedy is the uh, kind of the only art form where the celebrities that get really big off of it, their kids never get into stand-up. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, 
And it's like, it's, it's weird. Part of me th it thinks it's like, yeah, because they don't have to. Like, <laughs> like, because, because uh, like everyone who's gotten big off of stand up, they went on to like make movies, TV shows, uh, act. It's like their Nepo kids can just skip that stuff. <laughs> True. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can also, it's the most, uh, what would I say? It's got the easiest barrier for entry. Yeah. You can, anyone can do it. Yeah, so yeah. and all there is that factor too. Like, yeah, and if you're a nepo baby, you can just kind of <laughs> skip that step. Yeah, and it's like I I just want to see them like ha uh, handle the early stages where it's like you, you know that everyone goes through. You're not re uh, really funny, but you gotta pu uh, push through it. Like, could you Im uh, imagine being Bur uh, Bernie Max kid and then just bombing at an open mic? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was Bernie Max. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, would well, uh, yeah, well, be real uh, much easier to get that feature made. <laughs> yeah, true. Oh man, ah, wow. Bernie, does Bernie Mac have children? Now I need to know. Like, anytime there's like a celebrity in their sixties, I do wonder what their kids are up to. Uh, I mean, are they normal? Uh, I do mean, they look I, like them. I want to say yes, but I know that's only because he had uh, he had the sitcom where he uh, where he didn't really have kids on the sitcom. He had nieces and nephews. He yeah, had God. one daughter. Such a good show. Uh, Janice McCola. Is she a stand-up? No, I don't think so. Yeah. She's doing something better with her life. Wait, <laughs> does that mean that Bernie Mac's last name is McCola? His real last name is Macola. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I guess so. I also, uh, I we also just imagine on this uh, podcast. I, yeah, I mean, I mean, I also imagine going uh, going to different uh, uh, open mics. Uh, uh, like you hear Macola uh, mis uh, mispronounced so many times, you're like, all right, it's Mac now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well, I mean, Macaulay Culkin made Macaulay work, and I don't think we've ever met another Macaulay in our lives. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, before uh, before we uh, head off, uh, are there any uh, any general piece of advice you uh, you feel any uh, one who either is starring film uh, filmmaker and wants to get into it should know? There's only one piece of advice I have. Um, only make a movie that you'd want to see as an audience member. That's the only thing you really got to do. You have to picture yourself the whole time in the theater watching the movie. And if you like it, good. If you don't like it, write something you really like. That's really it. I think it's true for stand-up, virtually any art form. Just you have to think of yourself as an audience member while you're creating. Yeah, I, I think it's really good because I, th I think, especially in screenwriting groups, you see this a lot where people try to write... Or write something that's like chasing a tr uh, a trend in uh, in Hollywood, but it's like you, you're not gonna really see that way because if pe people can sense if you don't actually like it, uh, like the stuff you're writing, and and, yeah. and also like trends in Hollywood cha change all the time. Because uh, like I've uh, I've met people that. Uh, that would be like, oh, I'll just uh, uh, write a su uh, superhero uh, uh, movie. And they'll say that to me. It's just like, okay, I wrote a superhero pilot because I read comic books and like superheroes uh, uh, stuff. It's like, if you're writing it just because uh, uh, just because someone else is uh, uh, 
is doing like do you do you understand why people like the genre i think you're right i think they don't i think they want to make money and sell scripts oh yeah what are I'm, I'm curious are you guys working on anything now I, I know i saw belt and short i don't think i've seen any of chris's work. oh i'm not a director i i just really like movies i'm the movie part of film versus movie <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> all, all right well, we, we uh, our time is uh matt is uh, thank you for coming on is there thank any you, place pe uh, people can or should follow you yeah um just on Instagram, Matterday Night Levy. I am a huge SNL nerd. M A T U R D A Y N I G H T L E V Y. All right. So thank you all for listening to another episode of Film versus Movie. Cutting Room Floor. Thanks again to Matt for for coming on. I'm Belton Delane Facey. And I'm Chris Sher. And have, have a nice day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>